All right, good morning. Good to see you here this morning. I'm Pastor Dave. Uh, if you're wondering, some of you are like, who is that guy? It's been a couple months, had a busy summer, and Brian is preaching at our St. Albans campus today, so keep him in your prayers. There are wolves over there, wolves, <laughs> chew you up. Brian is doing such a great job. I'm just so proud of this staff here. Yes, <clears throat> the whole staff. Luke, uh, you know, Luke didn't come out of a ministry background, but he's doing such a great job coming along. Uh, I told him I'm putting him on the preaching schedule soon. So now he's thinking about quitting, he said. <laughs> I'm so proud of the VBS we just had. Uh, it was great. If you took a part in that, volunteered or brought your kids or just came and, and, uh, and watched things and wonder, then thank you for being a part of that. Such an incredible team of children and uh, young kids ministry we got going here. So I'm so proud of them. So proud. And I'm glad you're here. If you're a guest, thanks for being here. Uh, we hope you'll, we'll hope you'll give us some consideration and, and come back next Sunday. We want you back next Sunday. That would be wonderful. <clears throat> Again, I'm Pastor Dave. This is the last Sunday of my 25th year with Gateway. So it's hard to believe. I was only 10 when I started, I guess. <clears throat> so next Sunday will be the first Sunday of my 26th, starting my 26th year, which is uh, incredible. Time flies. How many of you know that time flies? Man, it just flies by. Uh, but I have uh, been so blessed, God has been so good, and I, I've, I think I figured out the, the key, the secret, and that's to get some really good and good-looking people around you, that way they, you know, they can't see you. Uh, and, and that's what we got here. We got a great team of people, not just here at Taze Valley, but church-wide. Church-wide, we got some great people. Well, this is the last Sunday for this. Last Sunday in this series, seven Sundays we've been going at this. Took a little break for July the 4th to talk about why we love America. But this is a Mark Batterson book, springing off of his book. Batterson's a preacher in Washington, D.C. And he wrote this book, and uh, I thought it would be a good summertime book you could read, and also we could preach from it. And so that's where we've been. So very clever he has some very clever titles, very clever phrases and things like that, and some of those uh, have seeped through, no doubt. Next Sunday, we'll start a new series called Faith with Doubt, Faith with Doubt. And we're going to get behind the reason you doubt sometimes as a follower with faith, but also having some doubt. And so we're going to talk about you know, some of those places in the Bible where uh, where our, you know, what, what the reason is for our doubt on these. So I hope you'll, uh, you'll be ready for that. That's next Sunday. And it is a seven or eight week series as well. <clears throat> well, on November 13th, 1946, 1946, who was around in 1946? You don't have to answer that. A single propeller airplane took off from Schenectady County Airport with a pretty unique payload. It had also a pretty unique mission. The payload was six pounds 
of dry ice. Six pounds of dry ice. The pilot of that plane was a young chemist named Vincent Schaefer, who had been doing some clandestine experiments in the General Electric Research Laboratory that he worked for. He used a, a, a freezer, large freezer, owned by GE, and he put it down to sub-zero temperatures, and he used his breath as condensation to make clouds, and then he seeded those clouds with the dry ice. And the clouds, when the dry ice hit them, created snow. So the time for his experiment to go big or go home came, and that single propeller airplane was rented, and he flew over Pittsfield, and he went through a cumulus cloud. That was hard for me to say last service. I said cumulus crowd, and that might be what we have here today, a cumulus crowd. You know, a cumulus crowd or is a crowd of people waiting to drip something. Uh, maybe praises and, and amens, huh? It's always good to be in a cumulus crowd when you're preaching because you're not alone. So he th- flew through this cumulus cloud, and at just the right time, he dumped the dry ice. Spectators on the ground said it was an incredible scene. It was like the cloud exploded, and you could see snow for 40 miles. The local newspaper had some fun with it. They wrote about this breakthrough, this benchmark breakthrough in meteorology, and they said... Headlines, Schaefer made it snow this afternoon over Pittsfield. Next week, he walks on water. Yeah. Now, the science of seeding clouds is a uh, pretty cool science, but it's, it's older than Vincent Schaefer and what happened on that day in 1946. It's almost as old, I think, as a guy named Elijah in the Bible. Anybody remember Elijah? And so we're going to talk about this old prophet, Elijah, in the Bible and what he did to seed the clouds. Now, let me tell you what seeding the cloud means. Seeding the cloud means to, to make something come or something happen from what would ordinarily be nothing. Nothing is happening. We have no guarantee of anything happening, but something is going to happen. Now, when I say we make, we have God on our side. We have God who makes the clouds and who can do anything. So it's making something happen that we have no guarantee of anything happening. This is kind of a creative title, and we've had some. If you look at the, uh, the titles we've had in this series, we've talked about, this is now the seventh thing, flipping the script. That's when there's harm done to you, maybe by life, maybe by somebody, but what they meant for harm, God meant for good. The Joseph story. Remember, kiss the wave. That's when the children of Israel were standing at the edge of the Red Sea, waiting for the waves to part. And Charles Spurgeon said, I face the problems that throw me against the rock of ages. 
I kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. So this is about facing your problems. Eating the frog. You remember this one? If you have a frog to eat, when should you eat the frog? Early in the morning. First thing. And if you have two frogs to eat, eat the biggest one first, right? Get these big things out of the way, but they're really little things. And if we do the big things, or rather the little things like they're big things, God will do the little things like they're big things. I think I got that right. Fly the kite. Remember the kite went across that pulled the cable that created the life change for so many people. Cut the rope. Elijah Otis said, cut the rope. And that was a habit for us to say, I trust you, Lord. I trust your word. I trust in what you're doing. And I am going to trust you to catch me, to hold me up. Wind the clock was not just about time, not just about counting the days, but it was about making Every day count. Biblical time management. You know, savoring those moments. So today, of course, is Seed the Clouds and the stories in 1 Kings chapter 18. And let me give you the backstory here for this. This is one of the most incredible stories in the Bible. And this is one of the most incredible prophets. Some people say Elijah was the greatest prophet you know, you remember in the New Testament when, uh, when Jesus asked his disciples, he said, who do men say that I am? Remember, one of their answers was, they say you are Elijah. You're Elijah reincarnated. And so that's why uh, that we know Elijah was, was considered one of the most incredible, greatest prophets of the history of God's people. So that's the story, 1 Kings 18. Now, Here's the story. It hasn't rained for three and a half years. We know Elijah prayed for it not to. We know this from James. We'll read that passage. The people are thirsty. The livestock are suffering. Evil is flourishing. The Bible says that Queen Jezebel in verse 4 is killing off the Lord's prophets. These were desperate times. And desperate times call for what? Desperate measures, things you would not ordinarily do, you got to do. Because you, if you do what you've always done, you're going to get what you've always gotten. That's the definition of insanity, thinking it's going to change. So desperate times call for desperate measures, and God told Elijah to do something that Elijah would not normally have done. He said, I want you to go, and I want you to present yourself to Ahab. King Ahab was the evil king who married the more evil woman named what? Jezebel. Now, oftentimes when I come to biblical names, I encourage the young couples to choose one of these names. Let's bring these names back. Hezekiah, Jeremiah, uh, Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, yeah. Or uh, what's the longest name in the Bible? Uh, Mahal, Hashbaz, or something like that. But there's like four more syllables. That was one of Isaiah's sons. Meher Halal Hashbaz. There it is. I knew the Lord would give it back to me. <laughs> but on this name, please don't bring Jezebel back, huh? Don't name your daughter Jezebel. She will grow into it. And because people treat you like your name projects. <clears throat> so this is what's going on. And so Ahab was there and Elijah goes to present himself. Now, do you remember this incredible scene on Mount Carmel? Do you remember this? If you know your Bible, you remember when Elijah faced off against 850 
evil prophets, 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of the Asherah, which was a uh, female goddess in uh, Canaan. And these 400 prophets of the Asherah, they ate, the Bible says, at the table of Jezebel. So, 850 verses 1 seems like we might know the odds here, but Elijah was one and God was one, and that really overpowers, overcomes 850. I love the clarity Elijah had about his culture. Oh, for the clarity we might have about our culture. Elijah said in verse 21, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal is God, follow Him. That's, that's the choice, isn't it? I don't know where you think we are in America. I don't know where you think we are in this culture. But there aren't any more choices today than there were then. We might think, oh, there's a myriad of choices. There's a... There's a a buffet of choices. You know, there's choose whatever you want to and do whatever you want to, but there are really only two choices. These are the same two choices that Joshua talked about when he said, choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will what? Serve the Lord. And Elijah paints it ever so clear when he said, if God is God, follow Him. If Baal is God, follow Him. It's no skin off my back. Just follow the evidence. The evidence. That's what we need. I don't know if you have decided to follow the evidence, but I want to tell you today, as for me and my house, we're going to stand up for God. Surprisingly, sadly, the Bible says, but the people said what? Nothing. They said nothing. Listen to me when I tell you, there is a day coming, if not already here, when, the, when it's time to stand up for Jesus and speak out for the truth of the Bible. The, the time is coming when the fire is going to fall again. I don't know if people believe that anymore. I don't know if Christians believe that anymore. You know, we used to preach about that. We used to believe that. We used to shudder in fear about that. It used to bother us at night when loved ones lay outside of Christ, when we knew that, that we or they could spend a Christless eternity in a place called hell. I'm telling you, as sure as you're sitting here today, the fire is going to fall again. Verse, I thought I'd get an amen there as well. I paused. I was giving you another chance. Uh, you know, I, seriously, is that not an amen point? Yeah, it, the fire's going to fall, folks. You don't have to be smart to even know this. You can just look at the way the world is going today. Then the fire of the Lord fell, verse 38 said, and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. You remember... Uh, Elijah gave them their opportunity to dance around and cut themselves and call out on their God. And he said, where's your God? Is he sleeping? Is he uh, away on vacation? And then Elijah said, it's my turn now. and Let's water it all down. Let's really soak it good and look at what happened. When all the people saw this, 
They fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. I think this is probably what it would take for our culture to finally come around. It might be too late, though, when that happens. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal, don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. Quick lesson. You may mock God today, but you will not mock Him forever. You won't mock God forever. I think there's a lot of mocking of God and faith and Christianity happening today in this country. We think we're so good and we're so proud of us and who we are and God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, a man's going to reap. Verse 41, so Elijah said to Ahab, go, this is Ahab, go eat and drink for there's the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. That's his prayer posture. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And the servant went up and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time the servant reported, ah, I see a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, the wind rose, a heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power, listen to this verse right here, this is incredible. The power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Now, that's just kind of a side note there, a side story. But, and I don't want to get caught up in that, but isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? We're not sure what route Elijah took, but it was at least 17 miles. And it may have been as much as 30 miles. And he beat Ahab on a chariot. I'm hearing chariots of fire right now in my head. And this, this is an incredible story. Long before Phaedipes uh, ran from Marathon to Athens, Elijah ran from Mount Carmel to Jezreel. Jeff Ranson's preaching today in Marmette, and I know he's getting some mileage out of this story right here. Let's unpack this seventh habit in the next 15 minutes. How do you seed the clouds? How do you make something happen that is not guaranteed to happen? What can you do about it? What can I do about it? You want to see a better country for your kids and grandkids? You want to see a, a, a culture that turns its heart back to God? Would you like to see leaders... Pray and hear them call on God like they used to do? Would you like to see that in our country in, in your lifetime or at least maybe in the next generation? How do we do that? I think we do what Elijah did. There's three things. First, with prophetic imagination, with patient persistence, and with bold prayers. Let me show you. Well, how this happened. First of all, let's talk about prophetic imagination. 
More than half a century ago, a guy by the name of Dr. Alfred Tomatis was confronted with one of the most curious cases in his 50-year career as an otolaryngologist. He was an eye, nose, and throat doctor. I could have said that, but I wanted to see if I could say, I don't even know if I said it right. Otolaryngologist. Yes, that. Otolaryngologist. So, here was the case. A renowned opera singer came to him, and he was an incredible singer, but there were some notes he could not hit. And they were well within his range, but he couldn't hit the notes. He had been to a lot of doctors, and uh, all the doctors thought it was a vocal problem, that he had some kind of a, an anomaly, a vocal problem that was weird. It was out of the ordinary. But Dr. Tomatis, when he came to him, he said, no, this is not... This is not a vocal problem. You see, this singer was producing sounds at 140 decibels at a meter away. 140 decibels. Now, I know some people think our worship is 140 decibels. But no, it's only 85. That's under the OSHA safety. Now, sometimes when Terry Willis gets going, it might be 90. It might jump up to 90. 140 is deafening. It is, that's louder than a jet taking off on an aircraft carrier. That is loud. And Tomatis figured out that this singer couldn't hear those notes. Therefore, he could not sing those notes. He said, the voice can only reproduce what the ear can hear. The French Academy of Medicine called this the Tomatis effect is when it's so loud, you can't hear what you're singing. Therefore, you can't hit the notes. Now, that's another reason to turn the music up in the worship service. So, those of you who think you can't sing, you can just belt it out. Nobody cares because nobody can hear you. Seriously, here's the significance for all of us. We have problems. All of us have different problems, relational, emotional, spiritual, different things going on in our heart, in our head. And we sometimes go after those problems like those are the real problems. Like, like that's it, you know? Maybe you got a marriage problem and the wife is blaming the husband because he's doing this, he shouldn't be doing this, and, uh, and that, let's, let's go after him for this. Or vice versa, and let's go after him for that. But that's not the real problem. Do you know the real problem for most of us in most of our problems is a hearing problem? Yeah, it's a hearing problem. We have turned down the voice of God. Or we've turned it off. We have allowed the voice of the world or the noise of the world, uh, whether it's a TV or our social media feed or whatever it is, to speak the loudest to us. And we're listening to those voices. Whatever that junk is on TV becomes normal in my life. This must be the way I'm supposed to be, and the way I'm supposed to handle relationships, and the way I'm supposed to handle my emotions, and the way I'm supposed to treat people. And so what we have here is we have a, we have a hearing problem. We have a hearing problem. We're not listening to God anymore. We're trying to define our problems by what the culture says. We've got to listen to God more. If there's ever been a time to turn up the voice of the Holy Spirit, to get grounded in the Word of God, it's now. It's right now. 
Listen, we don't have a shot in the dark of making sure our kids and grandkids are going to live right unless they can listen to the Word of God. Let me just ask you, what are your kids listening to? Well, what are you listening to? Because, you know, Jesus said this, garbage in, garbage out. Who are you vomiting the garbage you're taking in onto? Your kids are getting it, your spouse is getting it, your grandkids are getting it, and they're all mucky and messy and walking around with this vomit on them. And it's the garbage, isn't that a great image? This garbage of the world. And nobody likes that, but that's the way we're living in America today. That's the way we're living. And uh, sometimes we give ourselves garbage. We have such low self-esteem. We, we feel so bad about ourselves that, you know, I'm no good. I can't do this. And you know, we, we talked about this in the very first message, that we're giving ourselves garbage. And God says, look, I, I just want you. I just want you. I'll take whatever you give to me and I'll turn it into something beautiful. Remember the old song, something beautiful, something good? He takes everything of mine and makes it into that. Look, it takes a prophetic ear. Did you notice in verse 41, Elijah was hearing something nobody was listening for. It hadn't rained for three and a half years. Why would they be listening for rain? The sound of heavy rain. There's a sound of heavy rain, he said, but Ahab couldn't hear it. The servant couldn't hear it. Why would they hear it? It hadn't rained. You know, he's crazy, but it takes a prophetic listening skill to hear what other people can't hear and what they're not even listening for. A prophetic imagination is seeing the invisible, hearing the inaudible, and believing the impossible. I want to tell you something. I've, I've... I'm not uh, the smartest guy in the room, and I've, I'm not the oldest, and uh, there's a lot of things I am and a lot of things I ain't, if I can say that. But let me tell you something. I don't know how this country is going to get out of the mess we're in. I don't know how it's going to turn around. I can't see it. I cannot see it. I don't, I don't know what it's going to take. I don't know what it's going to take. But man, we gotta, we got we to... Gotta, have a, an imagination, a godly prophetic imagination that God is doing something. He's doing something. And it might take a tragedy. It might take a voice of the Spirit, a word of wisdom, the Bible calls it. A word of knowledge. This reminds me of 2 Peter 3.4 when Peter was preaching the gospel and he said there are people out there who are saying this. Peter was saying, the Lord's coming back. Jesus is going to return. And they were saying, 2 Peter 3, 4, not on the screen. He, he said, where is this? They're saying, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. In other words, you are out of your mind. You're crazy. You know, sometimes there are moments when it's okay for people to think we're crazy. I'd rather be crazy with Jesus than normal to the world. I would. So now let's look at patient persistence. Think about this. It had been three years, three and a half years. Elijah was persistent in this time of drought. 
He wasn't panicking. He didn't, uh, he didn't throw in the towel on God. And I believe that's the way God's people have been throughout history. If you're going to see God come through, if, you, if you're going to trust that He's coming through, you've got to be patiently persistent. And that's why it's called patience and persistence. You know, the studies show that over time, you and I, humans, our, there's this cognitive sense of, of gravity in our, the center of gravity in our cognitive, our thinking, shifts from a, uh, a right brain, I'm sorry, to, from a left brain to a right brain. Now, how many of you are left-handed people? That's your primary hand. You write with it, you bat with it, you golf with it. You should try golf if you don't golf with it. Left-handed golfers. How many of you? Left, left-handed. They say left-handed people are more creative because they're right brain. They're, they're artistic. They have, they have more creative ideas. And those of us that are right brain, we, uh, I'm sorry, left brain, we're right-handed. And we are more logical. Yeah. How many of you are right-handed? Yeah. And if you cut my uh, right hand off, I would die. So maybe you would too. I mean, it's, it's tough. So, over time, the, the way we think, the cognitive center of gravity shifts from being creative to being logical. Now, you see this in your children. When your kids are little, they're very imaginative. They, they can think things up, play, playmates and characters, and man, they get it when it's uh, you know, a big creative idea, and, and you see this. But then, as they get a little bit older, it's like, oh, no, that doesn't work anymore. Uh, you know, this is what makes sense. This is what's happened in the past. So we stop living by faith and we start living by memory. You know, this happened here, so it's going to happen there. So, for instance, you get some church leaders together. And you say, hey, we need to do something. We need to do something big. One of the first questions that often comes up with church leaders is, how much is this going to cost? That's a good question. That's the question I always ask. But it should not be the first question. The first question should be, does God want us to do this? Does God want us to do this? If we ask the question, how much does this cost? How much is it going to cost? Nine times out of ten, we're going to come back and say, mm, we can't do that. Because, you know, look, we're in the pandemic. This isn't... But if we ask ourselves the question, does God want us to do this? What do you think? Then we need to pray about it. We need to get together. We need to, Does God want us to do this? Okay, that's the first and the only question we need to ask. If God wants us to do this, guess what? He will provide what we need to do this. Wouldn't that be great to have a leadership that acts that way all the time? And we have great leaders here, but we're often, oftentimes, you know, we are left brain. We want to know, how, and I'm the leader of that. How much does this cost? But sometimes we got to say, you know what? God wants this done. God will provide for us to do it. And I love the story of Caleb in the Bible. He was one of 12 spies who went to the promised land, one of two that came out and said, we can, we can do this because they're big, but God is bigger. And he, he had to wait 40 years for all that generation to die. And then when he's 85 years old, he's coming up, to, coming up to Joshua and saying, look, it's time, it's time. I want that land. I want that hill property there. And I still believe we can do this. Well, it's, 
Exciting to see an 80-year-old man still believing that God can do and will do and is going to do something. Seven times Elijah told his servant to go back and check the horizon. Seven times. In verse 44, the Bible says, at the seventh time, the servant came back and said, I see a cloud as small as a man's hand rising from the sea. Seven. You know, this, word, this number seven is an important number in the Bible. A lot of things happen after seven. Seven times. Jacob bowed down to the ground toward his brother Esau seven times. The priest consecrated the altar by sprinkling it seven times. Psalm 12 says the word of the Lord is like silver refined seven times. Jesus upped the ante and he said, hey, don't just forgive seven times, but what? Seventy times seven. And there are more. Remember the Israelites went around Jericho? They went seven days. One time each day, but on the seventh day, seven times. Remember, Naaman had to dip in the dirty Jordan River to have his leprosy cured how many times? Seven times. And here we have Elijah praying for rain with his head between his knees seven times. And each time coming up and saying, go look. No? Okay, go look. No? Okay, go look. Have you ever wondered what would have happened if these Israelites or if Naaman or if Elijah after six times had said, ah, well, God must not be in this. What would have happened? You know what I think would have happened? They would have forfeited the miracle. I wonder how many miracles in your life and mine are still sitting there in the storeroom of heaven because we stopped too early. We gave up on God. Wow. Maybe for us it's not seven, but 70 times seven, but whatever it is, keep it up. Don't give up. Be patiently persistent. The Bible says to ask, to seek, and to knock, and those are present imperatives. It means to keep asking and keep seeking and keep knocking. And so this leads me to the last thing here that it takes for you and I to see something that we're not guaranteed to see, to see the clouds, that's bold prayers. James 5 talks about Elijah. He said the prayer of a righteous person is powerful, and effective. Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. It did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. So James is talking about Elijah, the boldness of his prayers. We got to pray, don't we? And that's our, that's our first and I think could be our last action. Rodney Parsons and I prayed before the service. I appreciate him here. He's the prayer warrior for our staff. And he said, you know, it occurred to me that when you pray, you have the complete, undivided attention of God. The complete and undivided attention. You know, sometimes when people talk to me, there's stuff going on I'm still watching and looking for. But when you go to God in prayer... You have his complete undivided attention. Have you ever had an audience with anyone more powerful than that? All you got to do is pray. God honors bold prayers because bold prayers honor God. Once again, I'll call your attention to that verse in 2 Chronicles 7. One more. If my people... I don't know if this is on the screen. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. You know, sometime after 
Elijah in 853, a man named Jehoram came to the throne of Judah. He was the fifth king of the southern kingdom 117 years after David. And listen to what the Bible says about him in 2 Kings 8. It says, He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Nevertheless, for the sake of his servant David, the Lord was not willing to destroy Judah. He had promised to maintain a lamp for David and his descendants forever. You know what that tells me? For the sake of his servant David. And you can find this phrase right here scattered throughout the history of the kings. For the sake of his servant David. That little phrase appears many times. Let me suggest with that that you and I today are receiving benefits not because of what we did, but because of what somebody else did, what somebody else prayed. They seeded the clouds, and you're the beneficiary of that. I can still see my grandfather sitting in his quiet room in his big chair with his eyes closed, kind of cocked sideways, and the others said, no, he's sleeping. I said, no, he's not sleeping. If he was sleeping, his mouth might be open and his head might be down. He's praying. He's praying. My grandfather was a giant of a man spiritually. I like to think, and this may be presumptuous of me, it might be a little out of line, but I was his grandson among many. I like to think that he might have been praying there for one grandchild to go into the ministry to preach the gospel. I like to think that. I can still see him sitting in the church when I was preaching some of my first sermons. I don't know how they labored through them, but he sat there. And I can still remember watching him, queuing off of him. Eyes were always closed. And if he was nodding, I'm like, go for it, man. Keep going. Keep going down that road. If he ever stopped nodding, I'm like, back up. Back up a little bit. Let's get this right. But I want to tell you that I believe he was praying some prayers for me. And who knows how many others. You know, I, I like to think that I'm the beneficiary of some of his prayers. And I think you probably can relate to this. We're harvesting fields we didn't plant. We are drinking from wells we did not dig. We're living in houses we didn't build. We, we're thinking right now, right here. But God is thinking nations and generations. We think it's just for us, but it's not just for us. It's never been just for us. It's always been for the second and third generations of those who come after us. So we need to go seed some clouds. We need to make sure that our children and grandchildren know the Lord. And if you think it's going to happen just automatically by sending your kid to some school, good or not, or even by homeschooling your kid, it's not. You're going to have to stay at it, stay after it, take responsibility that if it's going to happen, you and God are going to team up against a culture of evil prophets to make sure it happens. You're not guaranteed, but you got to do something so that God will do what God said He will do. Go seed some clouds. If you want to pray for your kids or your grandkids, I want you to stand up with me right now. We're going to close with prayer. 
if you worry about them, if you're like, man, I want them to know the Lord, I, I'm afraid that they're going to be pulled off and they're going to go to college and have their brains sucked out, they're going to they're suffer if we don't do something, then let's pray, all right? Let's pray right now. Lord, thank you for the promise that you can do what people say you can't do. You can do the impossible. And you can show us in our lifetime, but if not ours, the next generation, because we care as much about them as we do about ourselves. And we want them to know you. Lord, we want our children and grandchildren to follow you, to, to follow after you, and to seek your face. And we want them to, to hide themselves in you in this life. And to know the truth, to stand up for it. Lord, we're praying for them now. We're earnestly praying, and we're going to keep praying until the day you take our last breath out of our lungs. And God, we're going to live that life that you've called us to live to show them. And this is our prayer today. And all God's people said, in Jesus' name, amen. If you have a decision or a question or anything you'd like to talk about this morning, I'll be standing over here to your right. You can come forward.